Today's video was recorded on March 14th, 2023. In today's lesson, we look a second time at the Feast of Trumpets. And this time we're going to be asking, how is it that this Feast of Trumpets, which is the first day of the seventh month, becomes Rosh Hashanah, which means the head of the year, which is a New Year celebration? So people ask, how did the Jewish New Year get to the seventh month? Now, to do this, what we're going to do is we're going to explore the New Year's festivals that existed in the cultures that surrounded ancient Israel. And when we do this, we find something remarkable. So, for instance, in Babylon, they also had an atonement ceremony during their New Year's festival, and it also included a scapegoat, just like what we find in Scripture. They're very similar. The ideas are the same. So what we find is that many cultures had ceremonies of renewal, of forgiveness, of purging, of atonement, and that these would coincide with the beginning of a new year. So the New Year's celebration, it's always about renewing time, a rebirth, a renewal, of shedding the past and being able to walk into the future unhindered. And I think you'll really find this fascinating because this is so close to the type of ritual that we still have today in our own modern New Year's celebration. Now, during our previous lesson, this was week seven on the Feast of Trumpets, we let you know about a challenge that was given to us by one of Fig Tree Ministries' founding donors. And the challenge was to increase our number of regular monthly donors by 25 by Easter 2000. 23. So which is, that's the middle of April, which is about a month away. Well, folks, the response has been greater than we could have imagined, and we're so blessed to have those new monthly donors who stepped up to help us meet this challenge. We're so blessed to have them join our team of supporters. Now, as you already know, Fig Tree Ministries is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and that means we rely on the generosity of our supporters to help us carry out our mission of helping others just like you go deeper into your Bible by understanding the original context of what the Bible says. And since we're always looking for ways to increase our impact on the world for the good news of Jesus, we recognize that one of the most reliable ways to do this is build a strong base of monthly donors. So we're asking again today to help us meet this challenge. If you found value in our Bible lessons, we ask that you would consider becoming one of our new monthly donors. Any dollar amount qualifies, and we're grateful for any support you can provide. And as a monthly donor, you'll be joining other fig tree friends from around the globe. And your support as a monthly donor plays a crucial role in helping us plan for the future. Regular support helps us increase the number and quality of tools that are available to us, and that helps us to be able to expand our reach and ultimately increase our impact for Jesus around the globe. Now, becoming a monthly donor is easy, and we've included a link below in the description section, but you can also click on the link above in this video. It'll take you to the same page. So thank you for considering this challenge. We're excited to see more and more fig tree friends as monthly donors, and together we can meet this challenge. We can make a real difference for the kingdom of God in a world that desperately needs biblical education. So we hope you've been enjoying this series on the Lord's appointed feasts and that you enjoy today's lesson on Rosh Hashanah and the renewal of time, that moment of time when we step forth into the future unhindered because we've had the sins of our past forgiven. What we're going to do tonight is Rosh Hashanah. So last week we talked Feast of Trumpets. That's like well, it's kind of the official name of it, but it gets turned into a New Year celebration, which is a little bit strange. And everyone always says, why is your New Year in the seventh month? And so we'll talk about why that happens. And we're really going to talk about human nature. What do human beings, we've got human beings have lots of problems and which creates all kinds of havoc here on earth besides our own sin, but it's part of that is fed by our you know, the way God created us. So we'll talk a lot about human nature and how this holiday is feeding into that. God provides us provisions, right? He wants us to live in his kingdom, and he gives us the provisions to do so.
Okay, so Rosh Hashanah, that's, like I said, two weeks ago was Feast of Trumpets. One day festival on the first day of the month of the seventh month. And then we're going to talk about how that gets turned into Rosh Hashanah, which means the head of the year. And the idea, the idea in all of this is some kind of renewal of time. And we'll talk about what happens with human beings and time, because we have a special relationship with time that in God's cosmos, not everybody has. Okay, so the background there, that's, of course, Jerusalem, the Temple Mount. You can see the big mosque at the center there. That's where God's house would have sat. So when you go to Jerusalem, you want to wake up real early in the morning before the sunrise, and you go over to the Mount of Olives. And when the sun begins to rise in the east, which is behind me, you get that great golden light all over that Jerusalem limestone, and it makes great photography. But if you go in the middle of the day, it's just not, I mean, it's like anything with photography. You got to get the golden hour of light, and there it really is golden. So that was taken 6.30 in the morning or so uh, on the Mount of Olives. Okay, we're in the God's appointed feasts, and so we're, we've gone through the spring feasts, we're coming into the fall festivals. This is going to be part eight, so in eight weeks of this. And what I'll do is walk through, again, talk about how the holidays are flowing and leading up to this day, the Feast of Trumpets, that's eventually going to be called the Head of the Year. So this will be a little bit of a review for the holidays. So the holidays begin with Passover. That's the first one. It's on the 14th day of the first month. Now it starts literally three o'clock in the afternoon on the 14th day and the Jewish calendar, a day begins at sunset. So it's really, there's three hours of the 14th leading into, so you sacrifice the lamb to eat on the festival of unleavened bread, the 15th day, very next day. Then God says, day after the Sabbath, Sunday, first fruits. Always in the same week. Passover, 14th day, 15th day, then day after the Sabbath. And of course, we've gone over this so many times, but Jesus dies as the Passover lamb. He's buried as the unleavened bread of the world. He's raised as the first fruits of the resurrection. So he's one, two, three on those holidays. Then Jesus resurrects and walks around. So there's a 49-day period. God says count seven weeks. Seven times seven, that's 49. On the 50th day, which is Pentecost, have the next celebration, the Festival of Weeks. And of course, that's when the Holy Spirit descends. And then what we're waiting for, of course, on the calendar is the trumpet call, the, the trumpet call that's going to announce the return of the king. And when the king comes back, what he does is he's going to judge. So it's the days of, they call it the days of awe, but it's the days of repentance and sin has to be judged. So the festival of trumpets. First day of the seventh month, tenth day of the seventh month, you're at day of atonement. So we need atonement for our sins. We need forgiveness of our sins. That's going to be the scapegoat ceremony where the sins are literally, in their mind, taken out of the city into the wilderness where God can no longer see them. That's how they envision this. And then you celebrate the final festival, Feast of Tabernacles, 15th day, and all of these happen in the seventh month. Now, oddly enough, it's usually in September. And as we'll look a little bit later, we're going to talk about Roman calendar. And the Roman calendar, September, is the seventh month. October was the eighth month. That's why it's oct, November the ninth month. So September was the seventh month of the Roman calendar. And it's the seventh month of the Jewish calendar as well. And then the main question is, how did we get from the first, of the, the month, the first month over here 
And then New Year's Day gets sent all the way over here to the seventh month. So we'll talk about how we got there. And then all of this is really in the service of redemption. God's plan for the world is to redeem the world. And the redemption, we start in slavery. That's the exodus. That's we're slaves to sin. And God says, I want to redeem you out of that. And I want to bring you into my presence. So the, the book of Exodus starts in sin. It ends with the presence of God with the people. We are in sin. God delivers us out of that. He's redeeming us so that one day we'll be fully in his presence. That's the main biblical picture of what God is up to. Now, the thing is, we'll talk about this uh, tonight, is we don't really know when the transition occurred from saying that God says the first month of the year is in the spring, but then later it's now celebrated as New Year's in the seventh month. We don't know when that transition occurred. We just see it show up in rabbinic writings. And it's kind of lost to the collective consciousness there of the uh, Israelites. And I think this is kind of, you know, how did we end up with a, you know, a fat guy in a red suit who lives in the North Pole and has flying reindeer as the main character of our celebration of Jesus' birth? I mean, it's kind of like they could not be less related to each other, couldn't be further from first century Israel yet. And then people say, well, how did we get there? And it's really, we kind of don't, I mean, we have clues along the way, but it's not like one day a committee sat down and said, here's what we're going to do. It just kind of spawns so that we've kind of lost the history of how we got there. Same thing with Easter. Why do we celebrate Easter with bunnies and eggs? Those are fertility cult symbols, and yet we don't have any problem doing it. It gets lost to uh, our collective history, how we got there. Okay, so uh, number two on your sheet is really Feast of Trumpets. There's a little bit of uh, review from last week. So the Festival of, of Trumpets, it's a call to repentance. And the trumpet blast is there to wake us up. Uh, the rabbis envision that humanity is asleep, meaning we're not really awake to all the things around us, to God's kingdom, to the, the presence of God in our lives daily. So we need something that wakes us up, and that's the trumpet blast. It kind of jars us. And it's jarring us awake on the Feast of Trumpets because the Day of Judgment is coming. Now, it's a Day of Atonement. God's going to atone for your sins. He's going to Atonement means to cover over them so that he can't see them anymore. Uh, we have the scapegoat ceremony, takes the sins away, but all sin has to be judged, period. So there's a day set aside, at least that the nation is going to concentrate not only on individual sin, but the sin that just happens with the nation. You just go astray. And to say, okay, God, we're going to repent right? We're going to get back on the path, and next year we're going to do things better. And this doesn't, it's not a, it's not a um, forgiveness of sin because you didn't know God. It's the forgiveness of sin when you know God. So this would be for Christians to say, ah, I, I need to repent of, you know, the things that have crawled into my life or the things that I didn't intend to do. So this would be a day for us to say, hey, God, I'm, I'm not keeping my covenant relationship with you, I repent, I enter back into relationship with you. Okay, we talked last time about the significance that this is the only holiday that lands on the first day of the month. And what makes that significant is that the month begins with the witnessing of a sign in the sky, which is exactly what Jesus says. There will be a sign in the heavens, and then the trumpet's going to blast, and so two witnesses need to see the new moon, and that's how you know that the, that the, the month has officially started. Before that, you're not really sure, and this plays into our idea of the second coming, because the day and the hour of the holiday, we're not real sure. We need to see that sign in the sky. So this is what Trumpets is doing. It's, it's the call to wake us up. Now. 
why a New Year's celebration, right? This is number three. How did we get there? How did we get, again, from first of the month here, what causes this change to say, because if you read Exodus, God says, this shall be your first month. So you would assume, well, they're gonna, if they're going to follow God, go with uh, the, month of, the month of April, because that's the first month. And they said, well, no, we're going to move it. And our tradition is going to say, ah, that New Year's Eve is now going to start in the seventh month, I'm so, or the New, the New Year's festival. And so what day is the beginning of that new year? Well, it's the first day of that month, and that becomes uh, Rosh Hashanah. Now, besides, we don't know exactly how this came about, right? We don't have the notes, the committee notes for how they got there. What scholars look for are clues from the culture. Or, as I should say, what we're going to look at tonight, the surrounding culture. Because just as the nation of Israel is influencing its neighbors, it's also being influenced by its neighbors. And so you find similarities between the cultures that surround Israel. And so if we look at the cultures that surround Israel, we say, oh, there are other nations that are doing similar things that have to do with a New Year's type festival. So you could then say, by reasoning, we would say, ah, that's why it makes sense. And you'll, I'll show you the, the different festivals, but you'll say, ah, the reason that they recognize that first day of the month as the new year has to do with the Day of Atonement, and I'll show you why. So, okay. Now, number four, and here's what we have to do. We have to look around the ancient world. Now, I put A-N-E, and A-N-E is ancient Near East. But one example is going to be from the ancient Near East, and one of them is just going to be from the Mediterranean region. So really, it should be just ancient. My apologies. We're going to look at these ancient New Year's festivals. Because it was very common for the ancient world to celebrate festivals at the changing of the seasons. And it was very common to either have it in the spring or the fall, because as the, the fall is ending, it goes into this kind of dormant period, but that would be, you know, like um, the period of time that the earth is renewing before everything gives birth again in the spring, so it might be in the fall. So either way, you find these New Year's festivals either in the spring or in the fall. It's always around a harvest, and our harvest festival is in the fall. That's Thanksgiving. We're celebrating not only the ingathering, but seeking the blessing in the next year. So anytime, I mean, basically, it gets a little confusing because any harvest time can be a festival. But the main point is they celebrate seasonal change. I did put, let me find where I put this. On number four, I did put a um, footnote for a, uh, an article on the changing of the seasons and having ancient festivals. So one of those we'll look at, and I have this on your sheet on number four, has to do with Babylon. Now that, I'll show you where it is in a, on a map in a minute. This, um, you know, God does things, you never really know why, but in 2003, during the war in Iraq, the Marines ended up at Babylon. And so these are photos that I took while at Babylon. It's just absolutely amazing that you can stand there and read your Bible about Babylon and you're standing in Babylon. Now, some of that was rebuilt by Saddam. He, Saddam Hussein claimed that he was Nebuchadnezzar come again, or he was a descendant of Nebuchadnezzar. So he was trying to rebuild it. The archaeologists weren't real excited about it. But anyways, here's some photos from Babylon. Babylon was very influential, and they had, in Babylon, a ceremony that was essentially a scapegoat ceremony. We're going to talk scapegoat next week on Day of Atonement. But they had the same type of ceremony, where you're going to, someone's going to take the sins from the city from the past year and take them out into the desert so that they go away. Now, let me just show you on a quick map here. 
This is the ancient world. Here's the Mediterranean Sea, the blue part, obviously, in the middle. Israel is right there at the crossroads. That's a great study. If you look at God placed his word right on the middle of I-95 or I-5 or whatever main highway goes by you, so that oh, the whole world had to pass through this little sliver of land the size of New Jersey to see how God's kingdom was supposed to be lived out. And it's really wild to see that. There's Israel, and the two examples that I'll give you tonight, one from Rome, so way on this side of uh, the, the Mediterranean basin, and then one from Babylon. Uh, that's the scapegoat ceremony that comes from Babylon. If we go a little bit closer, Israel's right here by that red star, Babylon, uh, along the Fertile Crescent. Once you get up to the Euphrates River, you take that down and you get to Babylon. So we're, uh, let's see, yeah, number, we're still on number four. So in Babylon, they had a festival, a Ketu festival. Now, this is a springtime. It ends up being a New Year's festival. Akitu is a word that means barley. So just like the, the season of the year for Passover is in the springtime and the harvest is barley. So when you bring your first fruits, it's barley. So the whole ancient world is celebrating the growth of barley because that's how you're going to live. And they're blessing whatever god they think gave them that. And in Babylon, they had their own gods, in this case, a god Marduk. But the point is, is it's called the, the uh, Akitu Festival, and that's for barley. And they envisioned it as an annual renewal of the new year. And part of that ceremony, in order to renew the year, you had to get rid of the sins of your past, the past year. And so what they had was something that is going to be just like the ceremony we're going to talk next week, where there's a scapegoat. So in the ancient world, they envisioned that when you sinned in any way, any kind of sin, whether it was intentional sin or unintentional sin, you created a thing. Like they, the, the ancient mind envisioned that sin was an actual thing. And the thing, it had a thingness to it, whatever that means, but it, was, it had a weight to it. Now, sin is like that, right? Sin is like a weight. So if you're, if you're not in sin, or you haven't, you know, if you're living your life, you, you, don't, have, you don't have the burden of, the, of sin on your shoulders. But if you do start sinning, suddenly there's a weight pressing down. Well, they, they recognize, ah, there's, a, there's this thing that's created. And we can't see it, but you know who can? God can see this thing called sin. And so what we need God to do is take our sin as far away you know, there's so many verses in the psalm that's like, he removes your sin as far from the east to the west. Or uh, our sins are, you know, buried at the bottom of the sea or whatever. Because they envision it like a thing, and you want to get it out of God's eyes. And that's what the scapegoat is supposed to do. Our sin gets put on the scapegoat. The scapegoat carries it away where God can't see it any longer. And now that it's gone, now we would just call that forgiveness, but their thinking is so much more concrete than ours. That's why you have to have a scapegoat ceremony, something that actually removes the sin so that we're confident that it's removed. And we'll do more of that next week. But this is just an example of a New Year festival. Now, this was in the spring, but it's the same idea. You're getting rid of the sin, okay? Now, why? Why do, why do human beings, because all these cultures from Rome to Babylon have these type of purification ceremonies, right? So, one of the things that's happening for a New Year has to do with a human being, just us, and the way God created us. Because as Psalm 8 talks about, we're above the animals, right? Meaning our conscious awareness of the world is greater than the animals. You know, dogs aren't, maybe some dogs, maybe there's some really smart dogs out there, but most of them aren't sitting around, as far as we know, thinking about how the world got there, right? Or all the dog wants is, how, where's my next meal, and I want to be petted. They're not thinking, how did we get here? But we have that ability. We, have the, we can consider the past, we can consider the future, but we don't know everything. And so it becomes a burden for us. Time becomes a burden. That's part of our problem, is we live inside of time. 
Okay, so that's our human predicament. So here we are. We live, we, we move across time. And as I mentioned in the beginning, these New Year's festivals is a renewal of time, right? So here we are, we're cruising along. God says, look, I can only give you right now. I'll give you every moment right now, right now, right now. So in those moments of right now, right now, live correctly. Don't lie in the moment. Don't steal. Don't blah, 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 blah. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't blah, blah, blah. Because when you do, the moment you lie, you have a problem. Because now time goes by. Uh-oh. Now when my lie yesterday is now the past. And here I am in time, and I'm still aware that this sin is hanging in the past, even if it's an unintentional sin. And it becomes a weight, a burden. Because I know it's there. We can all think back about times in our life where I wish I would have acted differently, but I didn't. And now we need, we, we crave that renewal because we can consider the past. Because we want to walk into the future. So what are they doing at these New Year's festivals? Well, and these are the words that scholars, when they, when they write about these New Year's festivals, the ancient people literally use the words like profane. Just like there are things that are clean and unclean, profane and, and holy, that the past becomes profane. It's, uh, uh, the past has become old. Maybe time was wasted. You know, we didn't live the year properly like we could have. And whether it was intentional or unintentional, it doesn't really matter. It's still this idea that we can consider the past. Okay? Now, for human beings, the past is associated with three very strong, very corrosive, negative emotions. I have these under, uh, these are on number five. These are the, the three strongest ones, and there are many more, but they feed into these. Guilt, right? I, I broke a rule. And the rule, it's now in, that my action is in the past. So what do I need? What did Adam and Eve do? They broke a rule. So they have guilt. So we break a rule, and now we have guilt. And now we need that guilt to be alleviated. We created a sin, a thingy that God can see, and we need God to forgive it. Uh, it creates shame. I wish I wouldn't have done that. Guilt is, uh, I broke that rule, right? I'm the person that broke that rule, but it's all about that rule. Shame is, I'm the type of person who broke that rule. It's about me. And so shame is about my being. And then the last one is regret, right? It's regret of either action or, as psychologists have pointed out, regret of inaction. And the regret of inaction is usually stronger than the regret of action. If we tried and fail, we don't regret as much as if we never tried. So guilt, shame, and regret, they have negative consequences for humanity. And they also have a feeling, they have that weightiness to them, right? And so what we seek is the alleviation of guilt, shame, and regret. And I mean, this is what happens when someone's saved, right? We finally get the forgiveness of the sins of our past so that we can walk into the future, right? We're not dragged down by the past. And, and we crave, all humanity craves that renewal. Now, the problem is we can try all kinds of things that aren't, they're not God. So you have to go right to the source you know, and get the forgiveness from God in order for it to be effective. So what are human beings trying to do? What are we trying to do with this? Well, uh, three things. They want to redeem time. It was wasted, right? And I want to redeem it. And God, I hope that my past, whatever it was, can be redeemed, right? God, use whatever my past was so that I can do something in the future, right, for your kingdom. So Paul Paul had a past of persecution, violence against the church, and he needs that redeemed. And God does. He redeems Paul, pulls him out, now uses all the same zealot-like tools that he had, passions for persecuting the church, but he flipped it around and he redeemed it and said, now go out and change the world. And Paul's like, okay. 
So we, we look for time to be redeemed. We want time to be renewed. The, the idea is a rebirth of some sort. So what happens? How do we describe the being saved, coming into a relationship with Jesus? Being born again. Because our past has been forgiven. It's like we're a new human being, a new creation. We can walk into the future. So this is what the ancient people, and it goes all over the ancient world, this is what they're trying to uh, do. They're trying to redeem the past so that they can start again. And we do the same thing uh, in the religious context. So uh, if you flip your page over, So I already talked about one ancient celebration, that was Babylon. And scholars really, uh, there's a lot written on this because of the scapegoat part of it. Because of the similarities with what is happening at Israel as well. So uh, we'll see next week. The word Azazel means away, and that gets translated as scapegoat because it turned into, hey, we're going to put our hands on this goat, and right? And then we're going to carry the sins away. but. Well, we'll deal with that next week. So Babylon's one, but let me show you the one from Rome, because this is a little closer to home when we start seeing this uh, festival. So there's a Roman festival called Lupercalia, and Luper is wolf. And this festival happens just prior to the new year. And on a Roman calendar, the month was March. So March is the first year. That's why when you get to September, it's sept. It's a seven, and oct is, October is an oct, an eight, because it's based on March. Okay, so the festival happens right before the new year. Here's an artist rendering of it. Andrea Camesi. I'm probably saying that wrong because he's Italian. Lupercalius Prado, right? So there's the celebration in Rome that's going on. What is this celebration, right? Well, the God that they're worshiping is a God of purification, right? And if it's the same idea, we need to purify. We need to purify the city. We need to purify the king, because we can't have a king that is, isn't doing his job correctly. And we have to purify the people. So it's a God of purification. And the God is called Februs. F-E-B-R-U-U-S. Februs, the God of purification. And then the word. Februah means purifications, or it's a purging. You're a purging your sins. And Februah, what word sounds like Februah? Well, it's the month just before the new year. It's the time just before the new year, and they named the month February. So our month of February is a month of purifications, of purging. Why? Because we're, we're starting the new year, right? And we, we need to cleanse the city. And, and perhaps, I don't know this for sure, because I was looking at where did they originally get our idea of Lent? Well, we don't really know. It just kind of, we, we know people are writing about keeping Lent, but there's nothing that says on this date we proclaim that we're going to do 40 days of purifications. Right? So our Lenten season, before we get to Easter, which Lent usually starts in somewhere in February, right? That's the month of purifications, comes right out of Rome. So Rome has a, has a celebration where you're purifying before the new year. Same idea, just like Babylon. So they see the same thing happening. The past has to be purged. Anything that's sinful has to be cleaned out. Because we want to move forward unhindered, right? Get rid of the sin that clings to you, Paul might say, that becomes a burden. All right, so that's Rome. And I just love the idea that our February month is named after a god of purgings. But anyways, now, if you have all the cultures that write as their New Year's festival is the idea of forgiveness of sins, well, then what month? For the Israelites, is their atonement for sins? Well, it's the seventh month. So the, the time of renewal, the time of rebirth, 
the time of redeeming the past, the time of having your sins forgiven, all happen in this seventh month right here. So for the Israelites, the seventh month is a perfect time to name it as a New Year's celebration, because it is the time where sins are forgiven and renewal. So what's happening is, culturally, the people just say, yeah, that's it. God never told them to do it, but it makes sense to them because every culture around them is doing the same thing. So what you get is that festival of trumpets, the call to repentance, becomes then New Year's Day or the beginning of a new year. Okay, so hopefully that makes sense, but I want to show you that it's a cultural path to getting to Rosh Hashanah because the festival of trumpets becomes Rosh Hashanah, which means the head of the year. And the head of the year as a New Year's festival is a time of renewal, or you could say renewing of time. It's a time to, uh, of repentance. It's a time of forgiveness. And then we get to go into the next year free of our sins and not repeat the same mistakes, the, the idea is. Okay, now let's talk number eight, Rosh Hashanah. Let's just first, let's, let's translate it. Rosh. So Rosh means head. Berushit uh, is in the beginning. So Ber, the Bih is in. Berushit comes from the same word. In the beginning, Rosh is head. The word, or Ha, is the. And then Shana gets translated year, but I want to talk about that word year. So Rosh HaShana, head of the year. Now they don't have the of, but head the year. And we'd say of the year. So Rosh Hashanah becomes that new year. Now let me show you something really cool because Hebrew is a dynamic language and it actually describes what we're doing here, okay? So the word Shana, and this is um, under number eight, the word Shana gets translated year, but it really doesn't mean year. Like we have a year, we have a word in English, year, that specifically means a period of time, 365 days. Not in Hebrew though. The word Shana gets translated year, but it means something else, okay? So the word Shana is what's called an antagonym antagonym or a contronym. And an antagonym is a word that has two meanings that are opposite of each other. So uh, I put some examples down. To cleave, right? If you cleave meat, you split meat apart. But then you can cleave to your spouse. You come together. So to cleave can either mean to split or to come together. They're the opposites. Uh, citation. I received a citation today. Well, was it from the police or was it at work for your good work? Right? Citation could be good or bad. Uh, to fast means you can hold fast, which is to be steady, or you can go fast. You can see fast is an antagonism. Uh, to buckle. Right? Well, you, you buckle a belt to hold it together, but then somebody buckles under the weight of pressure and they fall apart. Those are all antagonyms or um, contronyms. Okay, so Shana is an antagonym. It means to repeat. Now, that's the main one. You're repeating something. Now, what are you repeating? Well, in this case, you're repeating a period of time. So you repeat something, but it also means to change. Now think about this for a minute, because this describes a New Year celebration, right? We're about to repeat a period of time. But what are we going to do? Are we going to repeat it exactly the same way? No, we're going to change. I don't want to repeat the year the same way that I did last time. So it's a re I'm repeating something. By the way, if, you, if you've ever heard in the rabbinic writings, it's called Mishnah. Mishnah comes from the word Shana. Mishnah it just means to repeat. How do you study the Hebrew writings? You repeat repeatedly. It's like studying the Bible is repeatedly. You have to do it over and over and over. So that's Shana, and it perfectly describes a New Year celebration. And what's really interesting is it describes our modern-day New Year ritual because we still have the same ritual, even for the most atheist 
of all atheists. The same thing happens to them, right? You get, uh, time goes by, the year is going by, December 31st is coming around. Time has grown old. The past is old. It's, it's profane. I need a renewal, right? The symbol of, of, of New Year's Eve is Father Time is growing old. That's our symbol that we use. And what's about to be birthed the, the very next day? Baby New Year, right? We want a rebirth of time. We don't, we're tired and there's been time wasted. We wasted opportunities. And I love this baby new year because you've got the, the, um, the Grim Reaper putting to death 1934, taking away 1934 and baby new year. So there's a rebirth of 1935 happening. Now, I don't know that we use those same symbols in our modern day, but that's what we do every year. Because what do people do on New Year's when New Year's ritual comes around? They start to resolve. They make resolutions. This year. I'm going to go to the gym every day. Now, the problem is they're not dealing with their sin. They're dealing with fitness and their diet. But you could see it's the same compulsion. Time got wasted. I'm going to resolve to live the next year different than I did the last year. Now, you know, we're not, we don't put God at the center and the forgiveness of sins and all of that. That would be a wonderful thing for our nation to do. But you get the point. Even atheists, don't like the idea of time, uh, it becomes a weight, and they want the renewal, and that gets integrated into our New Year's celebration. Okay, so I hope you can see that, because to me, it's like, it's explaining this whole ceremony that's going on, and it's not about that they thought that the only once a year your, fit, your sins could be forgiven. That's not it at all. It's just a national time where everybody focuses on forgiveness and repentance and and coming before God, and I'll show you there how it even gets integrated in the New Testament. But Jews, they always know there's a there's a if you sin and you know it, you go you go seek forgiveness. Okay, so last one, number ten. There's a renewal, the rebirth. It happens in that seventh month because of the forgiveness of sin. And so the rabbis then they said, look, we're approaching this time, the trumpet blast. You're going to receive forgiveness from God, renew the covenant, because they look at this also as happening in uh, right after the golden calf in the book of Exodus. God atones for their sin. He forgives them and he restores the covenant. So we can do that all the time with God. And what they say is there's a pathway to getting here, right? So it's in this seventh month. But now if we look, we say, okay, trumpets happens on the first day, atonement on the 10th day. But we're going to extend this period of time all the way out to the sixth month as well. It's called the month of Elul. And what you end up with then is a 40-day period, 30 days in the month of Elul and 10 days to the, days of, to the Day of Atonement. Now, 40, of course, is a significant period uh, number in the Bible. Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights while on the mountain with God right before the atonement happened. So we've got something from the Bible that we're, that we're, uh, this is built off of. But when you look at this 40 days of preparation, all the way up to leading up to being forgiven by God, there's fasting. We're going to prepare ourselves. Now, that's, that reflects the 40 days of fasting on Mount Sinai, and I put the Exodus 34, 28 on your sheet, but who else fasted for 40 days? Okay, so you have fasting. Uh, it's self-reflection. It's self-assessment, right? God, is there any sin in my life that I'm not aware of, right? There's, you got to read Leviticus chapter 4 because it's all unintentional sin. When you become aware of your unintentional sin, then you repent. Right? So here's a period of time where through fasting, self-reflection and assessment, God, do I have any blind spots? Is there any unintentional sin? Show me and then I'll repent. So you have repentance. You're finding the areas of life that have gone astray. You're getting back into that relationship with God. 
And then what you do is you seek forgiveness from others that you may have offended, and you forgive others who have offended you. So it's a whole 40 days of repentance and forgiveness, preparing ourselves to stand before the king. It's not just, hey, only one time a year we uh, get our sins forgiven. Now, how does this relate to the Bible? Well, look, seeking forgiveness, right? So I know we're running short on time, so I'm going I'm to read these on the screen. I put them on your sheet so you can look them up. But what does Jesus say about seeking forgiveness? Like, we usually focus on forgiveness from God, but Jesus is focused on forgiving one another and seeking forgiveness. So here's what Jesus says. It's in Matthew, and I have it on your, uh, your sheet, Matthew uh, 5.23, and then it's verse 24 as well. And this is right out of the context of Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement. Jesus says, if therefore you are offering your gift at the altar, if you're at the temple offering your gift, and you remember that your brother has something against you, right? You just realize, oh man, I upset my boss last week. Before I go to God, what am I supposed to do? Go to my brother, right? If you recognize that your brother has anything against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. Don't come before God seeking forgiveness if you haven't tried to repair the relationships in your life. Okay? That statement right here from Jesus, that's right out of Trumpets to Day of Atonement. You also have the idea, so not only did I offend anybody, but what about those who have offended me? And what does Jesus say about that? This one is Matthew 6, uh, 14, and you all you, you know this one. For if you forgive men their wrongdoing, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. How can you show up to Day of Atonement to seek forgiveness for God if you can't forgive your neighbor? Right? And not, I'm not talking about forgiving everybody in the rest of the world. I'm talking about the person who lives right next to you, whose dog gets in your yard, who plays their music too loud, whose kids, you know, make a mess, whatever it is. That's what the rabbis are saying. And even what Jesus is saying, you need to be able to forgive before you go to God, asking him for forgiveness, right? Judge not lest you be judged. Okay, so last one, let's, let's wrap up because when did Jesus's ministry begin? Right now, if we're if we're thinking like a like a first century Jew reading the the Gospels, we need to think about our context. What are the holidays? What's going on? So scholars look at this and say, Ah, when did Jesus' ministry begin? Well, first of all, when was John's baptism? Now, John's baptism is a baptism of repentance. And what's the time of year when all the people who be already believe in God, they're already believers of God, it's not a baptism of conversion, it's for those who already believe God, when's the year that they come out to renew their covenant? It's this time of year. So, in Matthew it says, I in this is John speaking, I indeed baptize you in water for repentance. So his is a baptism of repentance. And so scholars think, ah, it's probably out there leading up to, towards the day of the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement. And Jesus shows up to that baptism, and he insists on being baptized. And so then what happens right after his baptism? He comes, Jesus was led by the Spirit. This is Matthew 4, 1 and 2. It's literally like four verses later. He's led into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights just like Moses did. So scholars will put those two events right in the month of Elul, going, leading into uh, uh, Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement. And if you think about it, in their minds, this is the time of renewal. And what's, Jew what's Jesus doing? He's beginning his ministry at a time of rebirth and renewal. So it would make a, it would make a bit of sense for John not to just be baptizing at random times and Jesus not to be fasting 40 days and 40 nights at random times. Okay, so Rosh Hashanah, let's do a quick review. 
It's the head of the year. That's how it's literally translated. It's a renewal of time. It's a rebirth. And we find this really dynamic thing with the Hebrew that shana doesn't really mean year. You're repeating something, but you're going to change. You're going to do it differently. And I'm going to resolve, God, now that I've seen my life has gone off the rails this past year, and I resolve, God, that I'm going to live it differently moving forward. So it coincides with that atonement and the forgiveness. And it's so much more than just individuals forgiving and being forgiven. It's a national time of repentance and forgiveness. So that the whole nation is reborn in a way. Or at least that's the ideal. Now, whether it actually happens like that or not, well, you know, it would crumble if we tried to do it too. There's no silver bullet here. You know, just because you have the holiday doesn't mean it's going to have the impact that you think it should. But, okay, it's really cool. And how this relates to our world, the, the reason why I think this is an important thing, even for Christians to do, is have a specific time of the year that we reflect, uh, do a self-assessment, do some fasting, um, look for the areas in our life that need change, and then try to implement them. Go to God and say, God, I've strayed, and I need to renew my covenant with you, and I have Jesus as my sacrifice. You know, if you were living in Babylon or you were living in Rome and you were Jewish, every day at three o'clock, you had a sacrifice that would be on your behalf. So you didn't have to travel all the way to Israel to offer a sacrifice. You confess, you repent, and at 3 p.m., there's a, there's a lamb being offered for anybody in the nation as a sacrifice. It's called the Tamid. What time does Jesus die? 3 p.m. He's our daily tamid. You can, go, you can go to God any point in time because of that sacrifice. So, okay, a little bit of homework. Do this. It's really helpful. Go read Leviticus chapter 4. Notice how many times the word unintentional shows up because we think all of the commandments are about intentional sin. They're not. We have all kinds of unintentional sin that creeps into our life. I didn't realize I was going down that path. Okay, I need to turn and get back on the path with God. So God makes provisions even for the unintentional sin. And that's what that whole 40 days leading up to that day of atonement is to look for all your unintentional sin that we have blind spots for uh, that need correction. So, okay, that's the renewal of time. And now you have a new perspective on the word Shana for year and the holiday of Rosh Hashanah. You see, I went a little bit over and I apologize. I get so excited because this is so cool when you finally understand that there's something way more going on with this holiday. Very often, if we abstract it too much, we miss all the, the richness of, of what's going on and the richness of how we can even integrate this into our own lives.